let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6. For many of you, uh, you're aware that we're in a series that we've entitled uh, Upside Down Kingdom. For those who haven't been around, this is a study uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' sermon that is recorded in Matthew chapter 5 uh, through Matthew chapter 7. And we find ourselves kind of turning the page, if you will, in looking at this uh, series as we open up into Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And you can find our uh, passage on page 811 in that pew Bible, page 811. And as you do that, a way to help you follow along in the sermon, uh, there's a sermon insert page in your bulletin. Grab that. And for everyone who grabs that, I want to just make a highlight. I want you to look at uh, point number two this morning. And the first bullet point under point number two, I I want you to hide your enthusiasm. Go ahead and, and scratch that one out, okay? Go ahead and scratch that out. We're going to deal with that in some other different areas and under different headings. So uh, just so that you don't get uh, uh, mixed up there, we're going to take that first bullet point under point two out uh, of our message today. And so uh, for those who haven't been around or for those who maybe have uh, forgotten where we've been over these last six weeks, uh, we have been looking at what Jesus' words are regarding true spirituality. And what we've come to learn is that the Christian life is a very earthy type of faith. What I mean by that is it involves much of what we do. Uh, True spirituality, Jesus says, is found in the way that we talk, in the way we control our emotions, in the way that we control our passions, the way we keep our commitments and oaths, the way we love others, including our spouses and even the greatest of our enemies. And before we think that our faith is just simply made up in the things that we do, we must remember that while God calls us to a certain set of actions, that we cannot separate them from the heart condition. That is the reason why we do those things. You see, you and I can get really close to perfection in each of these six examples by doing just the right things. But I want you to know, as we look at each of those things, if our heart's motivation is not right in why we do each of those six things, then we fail to live out the calling that Christ has for us. Now we may receive in those moments by doing each of those six things we've talked about at the end of chapter 5, we may receive the fanfare and the applause of men, but I want you to understand based on the scripture today that even if we do those six things with perfection, and do them for the wrong motives, for the wrong reasons, while the people around us may applaud, God says we forfeit our reward in heaven. So this means that you and I can't simply worry about the things that we do, but we must also pay attention to why we do these things. And so this begs the question this morning, it's an important question for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And the question is simple. Why Are you doing the things that you do? Why do you serve God? Why do you serve others? Why do you do the Christian disciplines that you're a part of? Is it to make you look holy? Is it to make people look like you're a spiritual hotshot? Is it so that people will applaud and say nice things about you? Is it so that people uh, will think that you're an important individual? You see, if we don't understand why we do what we do, We will never know whether or not God is approving that which we've done. 
Now, before you simply come to an answer and say, well, the reason why I serve, the reason why I give, the reason why I minister to others and minister for God is because of God, let me tell you that it is easy for each and every one of us to deceive ourselves. It's easy for us to become so self-deceived because we are a fallible and flawed people. And we need the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and the power of Christ's word to show us the condition of our heart. And so that then begs the question this morning that each of us must ask, am I the real deal? Many times we ask the question, we think right away to an old adage that says that character is who you are when no one is watching. That's a good adage, but I think what Jesus is saying today is that the Christian character that he finds as right and good is found in the question as to who you are on the inside when everybody else is watching, when everybody else is applauding, when everybody else is saying good things. What is your heart's desire when you serve God and you serve others, when you give to God and give to others? What is the reason for it? Knowing that God knows our hearts and will judge us accordingly. That's a pretty important question that's before us this morning. And it's one that we can't answer without the power of God's Word in our lives. So I'm going to ask that you would stand for the reading of God's Word as we look to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus' words to us, and he says the following, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father God, my prayer is simple this morning. We want to serve you in such a way that you might reward us. So get rid of all of the deceit and hypocrisy in our lives. The self-aggrandizement, Lord, that we place around what we do and and who we are and why we do the things that we do. Lord, strip all that away so that when we are serving you, all praise, all glory, all honor and renown fall solely on you and your precious Son, Jesus. For it is then and only then, Lord, that we will know that we have ridded ourselves of all hypocrisy and all deceit. Teach us that our heart is deceitfully sick. It fools us into thinking that the reasons why we do things are for the right reasons. Lord, let us put those reasons on trial this morning so that our conscience may be clear that we may honor you in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So the question before us is, are you the real deal? And that answer can't be found through a poll of your friends and family and those around you. The answer has to be 
uh, answered by God himself. And so what do we need to do is we need to go to God's word and ask the question this morning, how do I know if I'm the real deal? And we see there are three things in our text this morning that I want to do in our time together. And the first way that we know whether or not we are the real deal is we know that the real deal involves guarding against being phony. Guarding against being phony. Notice in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now let's stop there for a moment, and I will tell you it is easy to understand why the translators of our Bibles put the chapter break of chapter 5 and chapter 6 where they did. Because right away we see that Jesus is speaking very clearly to a certain situation and moment. Without that chapter break, and really without verse 1, we would think that Jesus is continuing to address topic upon topic and how we as Christ followers are to live in certain areas and aspects of our lives. But notice in the text, we see the first word is a word that should stop us and give us pause. It's the word beware. Can I tell you that it doesn't take years of seminary training and long hours of study and a scholarly understanding of the Greek language to understand the following. When Jesus says, beware, we need to take some pause. When the second person of the Trinity says, watch out, it means we need to watch out. And here in our text, we don't need to look very far, but the first verse of this chapter to see that what Jesus wants us to know is that he wants us to stop in our tracks and that he has a word of protection for us. And it's a word that is so applicable to our lives today. We hear from our detractors as followers of Christ that the reason why many people will not be found dead in a church is because there are too many hypocrites in our assemblies. And we can get angry at that. But can I tell you that I think at some level they're true, they're right? I think Jesus would agree with that assessment. And he says to us, beware that you as followers of Jesus Christ, and me included, have a propensity to take our righteousness and use it for the wrong reasons. To highlight ourselves instead of highlighting the God whom we serve. Notice when Jesus says this word beware, it literally means to hold before oneself and to take heed. To be in a state of high alert. To watch and be on guard. The idea is to turn one's attention solely on the thing before them and to guard against it. So Jesus, after teaching on all of these different subject matters that are so vitally important to our lives, stops us in our tracks and says, if you think that all you need to do is make sure that you do these things right. That is, you, you, you express your anger in the right way. That, that you don't look upon people in a lustful manner. That, that you stay true to your spouse. That, that you stay true in your swearing of oaths and commitments. That you don't repay an evil for an evil. That you love your enemies. If you do all those things, and you do them, and you, you walk the, the corporate line as a Christian, then you're okay. Jesus says, but wait a minute. If you think it's just about doing, then you have been grossly 
misunderstanding in your, in your hearing of my word. Notice in the context, Jesus says, beware, not of people, but of ourselves. If you don't know this as a Christian, it would be good for you to hear, while the devil may be an important and strong enemy against us, and while demons and all of that may be formidable opponents against us, I'm here to tell you that I believe our greatest enemy is not the devil, nor his demons, but ourselves. And it's because of our flesh and because of our susceptibility to sin that Jesus says, I love you. And I don't want you to fall prey to these things. And and there's a reason why I don't want you to fall prey to these things. Because when you fall prey to these things, your testimony uh, comes into question. You become one who no longer is doing things for the glory of God, but for oneself. And so in this context, the word beware points to the motives that you and I have as Christians. And so when we give our offering, when we preach our sermons, when we offer public or even private prayers, when we help the poor, when we serve in the nursery, when we help with a small group, where we help with the student ministries or teach Sunday school class or work in the kitchen or hand out the bulletins or work in the church office or do whatever we do for the ministry of Christ Jesus, we have to ask the question, Village Bible Church, why do we do it? When Jesus says beware, he says it in the original text in a present imperative. That means he's not saying in a lackadaisical way, well, beware. He's saying beware and beware and as you beware, beware all the more. What I mean by that is when you're done guarding against this thing, you can never stop because hypocrisy is alive and well in our hearts. And right when we think we've mastered it, look out, it's going to come at us again. And so we need to be on the lookout. This, this was brought up in Kenneth Weiss' um, understanding of this word. A, a Greek scholar uh, who looked at words and helped us with the, the true meaning of, of the words that were spoken in the Scriptures. He says the following. This idea is a present imperative, which means that you and I are called not to act before men in order to be attentively viewed by them as a spectacular performer. The goal of the Christian life is not for people to say, wow, that person's really great. Wow, they they really are phenomenal at this Christian walk. But to beware means that you and I are to be vigilant to the ever-present danger, even in the lives of believers, to practice righteous acts out of the wrong motivation. So Jesus wants to grab our attention this morning. And what he wants to do, and listen, what he's doing is is he's wanting to grab the attention of our minds. And he's showing us the multidimensional level of who we are as human beings. And he says the problem is, is the heart. Not the heart, the four-chamber organ in the middle of your chest. But the heart is, is the seed of why you do what you do. And he impresses upon us to use our minds to ask the question, heart, why do you serve in this way? Do you do it out of duty or do you do it out of desire? 
Do you do it so you look good? Or do you do it so that God may look good? Are you doing it so people will pour adulation and praises upon you? Or do you do it so that they will pour praises and adulation on me, your God who is in heaven? And so the idea here in this word beware is a powerful word where it tells the mind to continually be interrogating the heart as to why you do the things that you do. You want to be questioning in each and every time, is it about me? Or is it about God? Now notice, he doesn't just leave it there. He says, let me help you. Because I don't want you to think this is esoteric or this is theoretical. It's, it is earthy. It is real. And notice he says in our text, the reason why we need to beware is because we can become a certain kind of people. Notice the case study involves a person called a hypocrite. And he says, I don't want you to become like a hypocrite. And we need to be careful because hypocrisy, there's a great truth about hypocrisy. It has been said that hypocrisy is that which makes us sick when we see it in the lives of others. But are so very comfortable when it's in our own lives. Have you noticed that? When you see someone who's being hypocritical, you want to vomit. It's dirty. It's It's ugly. It's seen for for the sin that it is. It's just, there's nothing pretty about hypocrisy. Except when you're doing it. Because it feels so, so good. And oh, we've got to be careful because it it can happen so very quickly. Uh, We can uh, see on our caller ID that someone is calling that drives us absolutely crazy. And we have no intention of answering that phone because we know who's on the other side of the line. And we know we have no desire to want to talk with them until our kids answer the phone. To which then our kids hand us the phone and say, well, it's so-and-so on the phone. To which we then answer, hey, how are you? How are you doing? Glad to see that you called. Without ever thinking that we are doing that which we hate in the lives of others being a hypocrite. So how do we know what hypocrisy looks like? Jesus helps us. And he says, let me tell you what hypocrites do. They do three things. And right away, before I I get to these three things, I want you to know it's not one strike, two strikes, three strikes, you're a hypocrite. You see, some of us will say, well, I do one, but I don't do the other. Let me tell you, hypocrisy can be seen when we live out one of them and not the others. And so notice these three things. How do we guard against being phony? We guard against it by knowing that phonies play the part. They play the part. In the middle of verse 2, we are given the title of phoniness. It's hypocrites. It's the word hypocrites in the Greek language. It's spoken in ancient Greece of an actor who played a part on the stage. That the job of the actor, listen, was to in some ways deceive the audience of who they really were. Have you ever thought about acting as one big deception? Because I no longer am Tim, now I'm the character that I play. Now, in high school, I I was a part of, of plays. And I remember our director would say, you must become that person. No longer are you who you were, You are now, when you are in character, you are in all ways that person, and you need to get into character as much as possible. It was said of the late actor Heath Ledger, 
whose last major acting part was to play the Joker in the latest edition of the Batman series. That he lost his mind because he had taken on too much of the Joker. And we know that he would end up in a, in a terrible death full of drugs and alcohol and depression. You see, the human heart can yearn so much to play a certain part that it destroys who the real us is. And for the Christian, that is true. That we can play this righteous part. And in doing so, we become the character that we play. That we forget who the real us is. Now let me bring that to our service and our giving. We can play the part that why we're doing these things is for the glory of God and for His righteousness and for, for, for the opportunity to be rewarded by Him one day in glory. And we can think that's our reason. But really the reason why we do it is we want to be known as a good, solid Christian individual. We want people to, to step back and say, well, that, that person's spiritual. That person's right. And we can do it for so long we lose ourselves in the character that we play. We forget that we are really who we are. You see, the actor, this hypocrite, was one whose job was to act in such a way that the people saw the character and not the real them. It comes to mean that hypocrite is a man or a woman who all the time is acting a part and concealing their real motives and agenda. It has been said of a hypocrite that a hypocrite is like a clean glove which hides a dirty hand. A hypocrite is one who preaches by the yard, but practices by the inch. A hypocrite is one who prays, P-R-A-Y-S, prays on his knees on Sunday and prays, P-R-E-Y-S, they pray on their neighbors on Monday. A hypocrite is a man who lets his light shine before men so that those who see him cannot see what's going on behind the light. You see, the hypocrite lives a duplicitous kind of life. And for many of us this morning, we don't even know we're doing it. We're giving the appearance of one motive. In reality, there's a hidden motive. And beloved, my friends, I don't want this to be said about us today. And yet, I know that this is something all of us struggle with. How easy is it for us to spot improper motives in other people, and yet how difficult it is for us to see them in ourselves. So Jesus says, beware. Be on guard. I don't want my people, he says, to be actors playing a part. I want you to be the real you who's been changed by my spirit and to live that way before others and when you're by yourself. But notice, he says, where are we to beware? What part are they playing? Notice in verse 1 it says, beware when you're practicing your righteousness. So you see right away, Jesus wants to say, the sin of the hypocrite is not in what they're doing, but it's why they're doing it. 
you notice that what they're doing is righteous. Beware of practicing your righteousness. That word righteousness comes from the uh, Greek word that means straightness. It refers to a state that conforms to an authoritative standard. It's the idea that it is, is good, it is right, it is, it is that which is pleasing to God. And so God says it's not enough just to do the right things, but to do them for the right reasons. So then that begs the question, why in the world would these people go so far to practice the right stuff and not do it for the right motive behind it? Notice the second aspect is, is they not only play the part of righteousness, but they do it to perform for a crowd. Notice it isn't what they do that's the problem. It is the reason why they do it in order to be seen by them. They do this righteousness before other people. That word there, uh, to be noticed, comes from the Greek word uh, theaomai. Theaomai is the root of the English word we have in our language, theater. And so what the hypocrite does is he, he, he gathers as a caller would, Come and, and watch what's going on. Go to a fair or, or, or to an amusement park and, and no doubt you will come upon an individual who's wanting to uh, bring you in for a show. And so they announce to all, come and be a part of this wonderful thing. Come and be a part of a show where your, your eyes will dazzle with excitement and your hearts will be filled to a place of thrill. Come and be a part of this. And the phony does that. And Jesus says what the phony does is he blows his trumpet. And so this hypocrite goes about and he says, uh, before he does any of his righteous things, he pulls out his bugle and bum, 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 bum. Hear ye, hear ye, everybody, look at me. Make sure you get a good look at me. And so they put themselves around where the crowd will be, whether it's in the synagogues or in the market square where people are at. Now, why would they do all of this? Why would they do their righteousness before all these people? The answer is so that they can receive what they're looking for, and that is earthly praise. Earthly praise. All of this, all of this doing of good things is to be done before people so that those people can see it and praise you. A hypocrite is one who, like the stage player in the play, does their hard work before others so at the end of the show, they might receive a standing ovation. That the people around them, when they see our righteous deeds, will yell, bravo, encore, They'll heap upon us bouquets of flowers to say how good we are. And Jesus says, my brothers and sisters, my followers, don't live the Christian life like that. Don't be one who externally shows holiness, all the while desiring on the inside for such things as props and accolades. Instead of falling prey to this, Jesus says you must flee from this hypocrisy. Well, how do we do it? Well, the answer isn't given, per se, in the text. But we know Jesus is building 
on one truth upon another. And so we got to go a chapter back to, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. In the heart of the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us that if you want to be free from hypocrisy, then you must be one who is pure in heart. Notice in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so instead of playing the part, instead of performing for the crowd, instead of seeking earthly praise, we need to become pure in heart. How do we do that? How do we become pure? That word pure isn't so much in the issue of holiness, but it's the idea that we're not double-minded. We're not mixing one of our reasons for serving God with one of the reasons serving us. It's unadulterated. It's entirely unmixed. It means that you and I are not two-faced individuals in our Christianity. That when we do something publicly, we're doing the same thing in our hearts. The motivation is is the byproduct of what you see in real life. Therefore, for you and I, there's nothing to hide. What people see on Mondays is the same thing we see on Sundays. In short, when people see your godliness, they know it's the real deal. They know it's not an act. But how do we get there? Turn in your Bibles for a moment to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you're in the book of Matthew, go to your right through Mark, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, and you'll come to the Gospel of John. If you're having difficulty with that, uh, just go to page 887 in your pew Bibles, page 887. Jesus is calling his disciples. And in verse 43, it tells us about this calling that is taking place. Notice in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to Nathanael, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Let's stop there for a moment. So these fishermen are being encountered by this Jesus. And there's this come and see approach. We found the Messiah. The one we've been waiting for. The one whom Moses wrote about. We found him. And you got to come and see him. Well, who is he? His name is Jesus. And he's of the town of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph, the carpenter. Scholars believe inherent in this dialogue is the sense that there's a surprise that the Messiah comes from Nazareth. If you do any history of Nazareth, you know Nazareth is a town that is not well received. It is not a world-renowned city. It is a country city, a city where mostly the poor live. The shepherd town, the town that is known not for anything more than just being a town outside of Jerusalem. And the sense is by scholars that disciples, the disciples who were coming to know Jesus, were changing their opinion on Nazareth. Because if the Messiah came from there, you couldn't say that Nazareth was a bad place. 
And so the idea here is that what was happening was is that they were changing their mind on Nazareth. Hey, Nazareth. I always thought Nazareth was a great town. It was a good place. I always, deep down inside, I know people didn't like Nazareth, but I always had a special place in my heart for Nazareth, and I wonder why. Well, I knew that God was going to use Nazareth for some wonderful plan. To which Nathaniel says, you kidding me? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Man, he's just speaking his heart. What he's thinking on the end, there's no deceit, there's no guile, there's, there's nothing, no hypocrisy. Let me tell you what I think of Nazareth. Well, on the inside, I think, can, can anything good come from that place? I mean, that place is really has never been good for anything. So if I think that way, I articulate it. Let me give some grace to those who just speak their mind in our congregation this morning. We get, we get beat up a lot for speaking our minds. And I think Jesus vindicates us in some ways where he says it's a good thing for us to speak our minds. Now, right before I say that, I know that some of you are going to use that spiritual gift and beat up people. So let me tell you something. You speak the truth in love. You do that which is edifying for those who you're speaking with. And so we just can't speak whatever comes to our mind. We've got to do so with grace and with mercy. But here Nathaniel... He just says what his heart believes. Is there anything that good come from Nazareth? Now notice, that's the first thing. It is good for us to, to not speak with forked tongue. To not be deceitful. And that's what breeds hypocrisy. But notice the second thing we need to know about, about this. Notice it says in verse 46, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite, indeed whom there is no deceit. That word deceit you could change in other translations. It's guile. In other translations you will see in no, with whom there is no hypocrisy. So here is a guy that Jesus points to and says there's no hypocrisy in him. Now notice, it isn't the other disciples who say that. It is Jesus now, Nathaniel says, notice, he says to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, before you even had the conversation, before you even heard I was around, before you even knew I was from Nazareth, I saw you under the fig tree. To which Nathaniel replies, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, wait a minute. Jesus says, Nathaniel, I've kept my eye on you. And most Bible scholars believe that that fig tree experience happened before Jesus came to Galilee. And what I want to remind us when, when Jesus talks about hypocrisy, let us understand this and remember this. You may be able to fool everybody in the, here in your flesh and blood, but you can't fool Jesus. And the reason why you can't fool Jesus is because Jesus is all places at all times and he knows our hearts. So you may be able to fake out the people that are around you, but you can't fake out Jesus because he is sovereign and he is watching all that we do. And so we need to recognize that hypocrisy is something that we can get away with with others, but we'll never get away with it with God. Therefore, because God is sovereign, because Christ is watching all that we do. There are two things that we must do. Number one, we must serve diligently. 
serve diligently. In verse 1, it tells us we are to practice righteousness. And we are to be diligent in that. The idea of practicing is the idea of a present tense thing. It's a lifestyle. And we are to devote our lives to serving God well. But notice Jesus doesn't want us just to be diligent in what we do, but notice he wants us to be diligent in how we do it. And so it begs the question, why again do we do the things that we do? Why do you serve where you do? Why do you help in that ministry? Why do you give? What is your motive? What's the reason? And for many of us, we'll quickly say it's about God. But sadly, for many, it's about what it does for us. It's about what we get out of it. And we can say, well, it is all about God. Let me tell you something. If I'm not careful, speaking in this pulpit can get really affirming for a pastor. Let me tell you, it's a power trip to be the one talking and everybody listening. And it's real easy for me to stand up here for the wrong reasons because I have an ego and I need my ego to be stroked. And and if I can get everybody to listen to me for 50 minutes, well, that's going to feed me for seven days. And right when I start feeling like I'm not getting that adulation, I'll just get back up in the pulpit. And you say, well, Tim, you you wouldn't do that. You want to bet? You don't think that I'm capable of that? And so I have to be reminded, and I've told you this before, I have to be reminded God spoke through donkeys. And if I think that I got something to bring to this table, God just got to remind me, don't you remember Balaam's donkey? I used a donkey. You don't think I can use you? And so we need to be careful that we check why we're doing what we're doing. And it's maybe because people say, well, you're just the best Sunday school teacher that we've ever had. Or our kid hasn't learned about Jesus like they've learned under you. Or, or we've not seen so many kids come to know Jesus in any time in all our lives except through you. You're just the greatest. You're the best. And, and here's the thing that we have to remember. Brothers and sisters, be careful that we're not setting the trap for our friends by feeding that. That it becomes all about what we do. Well, you're great. Well, no, you're great. And we sit there and we pat each other on the back and we just think we're all just wonderful. Now, that doesn't mean right away that I'm saying get rid of all encouragement, all affirmation. But let's make sure in our giving of that affirmation, encouragement, and that receiving that it quickly bounces off of us and gets to God. That it deflects off of us and goes to the one who truly receives all the glory, honor, and praise. And so we need to serve diligently, knowing that our service is not about what we get, but the glory that God gets. But notice also, if it's about God, then shouldn't I do all that I can to honor him in my service? So it means that when I serve, that I'm dedicating and preparing myself in prayer before I get about doing it? You see, the reason why we need to pray In fact, the reason why I need you to pray for me as well is that you say, hey, it is a tempting thing for our pastor to stand before hundreds and preach and be told he does a good job, and I don't want my pastor to fall prey to the idea that it's about him instead of being about God. 
And so when we serve, we get on our knees and we say, Lord, I know that the spotlight when I serve you well will be put on me. And Lord, I don't want it to stay there. And so I pray by your spirit that you will convict me and you will move me to push it away from myself and onto you. Notice number two, it says that we are to practice generosity. Here in verse three and four, it tells us that when we give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So Jesus brings attention to our giving. He says it's not just practicing righteousness, but you're going to see, he's going to say, in your giving, in your serving, in your praying, in your fasting, we're going to address each of these in the coming weeks. And Jesus says all of this is to be done in secret. Within the practice of the first century was a calling to help those in need with monetary support. It was to be an act of kindness and mercy. But it was not to be lorded over the people that we gave to. It was not to be given with interest. It was to be given freely. In some ways it was to be given not to enslave the person you're giving to, but to be given in such a way that there was no requirement for something to be done in return. And so this then begs the question, within this text, notice, the present tense, practice your righteousness. When you give. Notice in verse 5, when you pray. Notice in verse uh, uh, 16, when you fast. All of these things are expectations that our master has of us. And so Christ says, when you practice your righteousness, he's assuming you're going to do it. And so for those who aren't serving, I say, Jesus, your pastor doesn't assume it. Jesus does. How are you serving the kingdom? You say, well, well, Jesus doesn't say we have to give. He says, when you give, I'm assuming that every Christ follower is going to give to the ministry of the gospel. I assume that they're going to do that. And when you do, when you pray, I'm assuming that my followers are going to pray, that they're going to do this stuff. He says, when you do it, be careful. That your heart is in the right place. So this begs the question, how generous are we with God and with others? How quick are we to serve God and others with the gifts that God has given us? This passage reminds us that number one, we are to be busy doing the work of the gospel. And number two, that we are not to keep a running total of our good deeds. And so how do we make sure of that? You see, the question then I ask is, Lord, how are we to be public yet private? And how are we to be private and yet public? And you say, well, that's in the text. It says, do all this stuff in secret. But then I go back to uh, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Wait a minute, Jesus. You're telling me to do this stuff in private, but then a chapter earlier you're telling me to do it in public so everybody can see it. Jesus, have you lost your mind? Because it's saying two things are coming out of both sides of your mouth. Unless you understand that all things we do are in public are the same things that we're doing and for the same reasons as we are in our private places. So notice, how do we get there? We have to head down the right path. Let me close with this. What do we need to do? Jesus helps us. 
And he says, how do we make sure that every spiritual activity that we're a part of is done that God might receive the, the glory and we might receive a reward? Hypocrisy is kept at bay when we pursue three things. Number one, a holy motivation. A holy motivation. It's important to reiterate that within this are some concrete ways that we need to remember. Number one, the subtlety of hypocrisy. Don't ever forget how subtle that is. It happens so very quickly that we're engaging in it at times we don't even know. And so we have to constantly be questioning our heart. You need to understand hypocrisy is one of the greatest enemies of Christianity. All the way back to the patriarchs. In fact, some of the greatest men and women in Scripture struggled with this great sin of hypocrisy. And why? Because, listen, at the very heart of the matter of hypocrisy is idolatry. Well, what do you mean, Tim? We make gods out of public opinion and people's praise. In order that we might receive praise from them, we will serve people in any way so that they might bless us with their favor. So how do we combat against that? Hypocrisy is defeated in the life of the Christian. Listen, when you serve an audience of one, when the only person's opinion that matters is God's, that everybody, when they're in your, in your presence and everyone in the room is standing and applauding how great you are, you nod your head politely and say yes, and all the while asking the question, Lord, are you standing up and affirming what I've done? Because it's you who matters. Growing up as a teenager in a, in a Christian family and as a follower of Christ, uh, the group Petra was one that we came to love. Now, that makes me really old in some people's minds and really young in other people's minds. And for that, I can't say anything but, oh well. But the group Petra had a song that I think helps us to understand this. And in the song, it said, I don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I want the wisdom to discern the two apart. Because I don't want to be a man-pleaser. I want to be a God-pleaser. I just want to do the things that please my Father's heart. You want to get rid of hypocrisy in your life? Make that your daily prayer. It's about you, Jesus. It's about you, God in heaven. It is you who I want to please. And so I serve you, and I'm holy, and I am right, and I am good, and I am just in all of my practices. Not so that men will shine a light on me, but when they do shine that light on me, they might see Jesus and not me. It's John the Baptist who says, I must decrease so Christ may increase. So how do we balance that? It involves a hidden mission. A hidden mission. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Can I tell you, this verse has, has been used in, in, in Bible uh, messages in all different kinds of ways. And I remember hearing this preached, and, and what it meant was, is you, uh, what it means is anonymous giving. It means hiding your giving. And so when you go to the offering box, hide what you're doing. You know, if this is the offering box over here, we, we just make sure nobody's looking, nobody's aware, and, and, and we put our gift in quietly, and, and we do so. We don't want anybody to see it. But we need to be careful if that's what we think the meaning of the text is, because we need to remember that Jesus says the same thing about our prayers. And notice, we've done some praying this morning. 
And our prayers are to be done in secret. And I think we did a really bad job this morning at doing that. Because Pastor Keith, I mean, my goodness, he prayed so all of you could hear him. I guess I did too, so I shouldn't shake my head. I'd be a hypocrite. And so how do we balance this? We need to understand that what Jesus is talking about is not anonymous giving or anonymous praying or anonymous serving. In fact, that kind of living, especially in the area of giving, is is not even biblical. The New Testament church, therefore, would have been sinful because they laid their gifts at the feet of the apostles. Barnabas is encouraged and affirmed for him giving his property to the church in the book of Acts. No, this calling for anonymous giving is not biblical at all. Because even outside of 20th and 21st century American Christianity, you'll not see it anywhere else. It's an invention of a people that believe their money is their business and no one else's. And we wonder why here in America we struggle with materialism. It's because our money is about us. But Jesus says, hey, be careful where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so to apply Jesus' words to construct a theology of secret prayers and secret giving and secret services to the detriment of Christ's preaching. So what in the world does don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? What it means is don't announce your acts of service, your acts of giving, so that everybody can see it. Your job is to do good works, not to talk about them. Your job is to serve God, not to keep track of your hours. Your job is to honor God and not honor yourself. But notice, when Jesus uses that phrase, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, notice he's speaking to a person within their body. Notice he doesn't say, don't let the person on your left side know what you're doing on the right side. He speaks to the person and more clearly to the text. If you want to apply this passage to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing is to say to yourself, it isn't about me. And so therefore I won't keep spiritual books about the works that I've done. I'm not going to write for myself a profit loss statement. I'm not going to announce to myself, well, look at how much I've given this year. Look at what I've done. I must be a spiritual person. Or look how much I've served or how many sermons I've preached. What Jesus is saying is don't announce it to yourself because in doing so, you are allowing the sin of hypocrisy to creep in. And so all that you do, when God motivates you to do something, you do it and then you forget about it. You don't keep track of it. You don't put on your lapel, look at how many years I've served in this ministry, or how many times I've done this, or I've done that. And I will tell you, we are so, it is so very subtle. And so when we do that, listen, when we do that for the wrong reasons, people will applaud. Well done, Tim. Well done, so and so. And when that applause is over, God says, You've gotten your reward. I hope you enjoyed it. That's it. What you did there, that, that's good. You did it. You did it for the wrong motives. And they, the, the dumb people around you didn't know any why. There weren't any wiser to it. So it's done. It's over. But notice, 
when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we serve Him with the right motives and the right desires, Jesus says that we will receive a heavenly commendation so that when your giving is done in secret, the one who sees, the Father who sees in secret, will reward you. And so, beloved, while we may serve God and and may honor Him and we do it for the right motives, you may not receive a plaque for your years of service. You may never be told, well done. You may be even reviled for your service to God, but understand it is clear in this text, it is not our job to keep account of our righteousness. But you and I can rest assured that God is keeping on account and he will judge each of us according to what we have done for Christ in the body. So stop trying to impress others and start impressing the only one who matters, namely Jesus Christ. Because one day when this life is done, you and I are going to stand before our Lord in the company of angels and saints. And on that great and glorious day, you and I will receive honor and glory when our Savior looks us deep within ourselves and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter you into the joy of your Lord. So let's keep the eye, our eyes on the ultimate not the temporal. Let us preserve, pursue the praise of eternity, not the praise that is but for a moment. And let us live each and every day under the Latin term, coram Deo, always serving, always giving, always living before the face of God, living only to please Him, whether we eat or drink, to do it to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and Lord, we know you can read our mind, and you can uh, know our hearts. And Lord, we ask, because you are the righteous judge, to, to put us under trial this morning for our motives. And Lord, we don't want to be quick to think that we have been acquitted of, of the crime of hypocrisy. So Lord, without looking at the person next to us, or thinking of our children or our spouse or, or that friend of ours that we know may struggle with it, Lord, we put ourselves on the stand and ask for the righteous judge to do the work of convicting us of this sin, to challenge us in why we do what we do, to give us the right motivation that's not about us, but it's about you. And Lord, that we would continually be asking this question because we know hypocrisy is just around the corner. And it's so damaging because what it does is it brings into question why we serve. And our sinners and our friends around us, the sinners around us are just dying for the opportunity to see hypocrisy come up in us so they can point their finger and say, the only reason why you serve God is because what you get out of it. And so, Lord, rid that of our lives. Lord, what a a poignant message today for us as a church. Lord, we're getting big enough and and we're getting well-known enough for us to think that it's about what we're doing. Look at all this that we're doing and to think that our motive is just so that we might get more well-known. Lord, rid that sin from the staff, from the elders, from every person in this place that when people see Village Bible Church, 
that they praise the name of Jesus and not us. Oh Lord, we want to be God pleasers. And so we go into a place, into a world. Lord, as we leave this place, we go to a world that is all about pleasing man, making man well known, making man glorious. And Lord, let the people around us see not how glorious we are, but that the only greatness we bring to this world is the greatness of sin. And that points us to a glorious Savior. And it's because he saved us and died for us and and lives inside of us that we now do what we do for his glory and his renown and his fame. Lord, make that our motivation and challenge us each and every day as we practice our righteousness to not do it as the hypocrites do, but to do it for the right reasons and in the right ways. We love you, Jesus. We want to honor you. So teach us your ways this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.